Welcome to the Inside Inside Sales Podcast with your host, Daryl Prale. Join us every week as we interview industry leaders and experts to uncover the ways they're finding sales success today. Tune in as Daryl brings you actionable strategies and tactics that can immediately increase your sales and success. Good afternoon, everybody. It's Daryl Prale here. You know what we're at? We're at another episode, another week, another time, another place. You and I talking here on the Inside, Inside Sales Show. Don't you love it? Does it ever like feel to you like there's been too much time apart those seven days in between every single episode? Do you miss me as much as I miss you? Lie to me. Tell me you do. Make me feel better. <sighs> I got a story to tell you. The other day, now if you're a regular listener, you'll know all this already. The other day I was on a podcast with Larry Long Jr., so Larry Long Jr. and I were shooting the breeze in conversations leading up to the recording. And then we're in the green room before the recording. And then we're in the recording. But at multiple steps along the way there, he starts dropping references to the 60s. He's dropping references to Motown. And, uh, and I'm like, dude, I'm a Motown freak. I grew up on the Canadian side of the U.S.-Canada uh, border right outside Detroit. I grew up in an era... I'm a 60s child, but I grew up really in the 70s, and then high school was the 80s, first half of the 80s. So I grew up where I was. There was really, there was no cable, no cable TV. There was no, no nothing. Everything was over the air. And all of the, the radio and the television that I got that influenced me came from Detroit. So I grew up on Marvin Gaye, and I grew up on, you know, just all these amazing artists. It was crazy. Um... And he's dropping all these references and like we're getting each other's vibes and it was amazing. And then he starts dropping 70s and 80s pop culture references, whether it's the Jackson 5 or what you talking about, Willis, and different strokes and all these TV shows that nobody today would have a clue what's going on. And after that was done, I had so much fun. I was actually thinking about some advice that I had given my kids Earlier now, my kids are 24 and 26 right now. Okay, I know, I know you're thinking, how is that possible, Dora? You look so young, and you would be right. I started very, very young. I was an overachiever even when I was 10 years old, and I told them that what you guys need to do. You may not have the best marks in school. You may not be graduating, you know, and summa cum laude. You may not go to Harvard because I'm cheap and poor. Um, understanding all that, I said, there's a couple of things you need to know. I said. You can be book smart, and then you can be street smart. And often, if you're street smart, that makes you more successful than book smarts. I mean, if you want to go to Harvard or Princeton or Yale, uh, you're, or you know Cambridge or Oxford, you're going to you're going to benefit from the relationships, the network more than anything. It's not something. The education's good. But it's that long, lifelong network. But anywhere else, not near the same. For my American listeners, this may surprise you, but the whole premise of the alumni, which is, you know, you, you can be 75 years old and still cheering on your alma mater, that doesn't really exist outside of the U.S. It definitely doesn't exist here in Canada. It is what it is. So what does all this mean? Well, what it means is I go back to, the, to what Larry and I were talking about. We're making all these pop culture references. And I said to my kids, if you're street smart, then you know how to read a room. But one of the biggest things about any kind of, even if you can read a room, you know, have some personal skills, you have to establish a rapport. 
Part of understanding the rapport is understanding pop culture. So my kids who are 24 and 26 grew up watching Gilligan's Island. They grew up watching, you know, uh, Dragnet and Adam 12. You know, they grew up watching all these shows from the 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s. And of course, they would whine and say, oh, these shows are so slow because it's a different era. And I said, just you wait. I said, pop culture, it's going to be there. And then as they grew up and they got into the you know university and they got into the workforce, it was pop culture over and over again that they use. And they were dropping 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s references over and over again. It was every, what they did was they learned from every single decade a little bit of nuggets and insights that allowed them to be street smart and engage no matter who they were talking to, whether it's the CEO or the janitor. And they established a common bond. It wasn't on your economic situation. It wasn't on your education. It was going back to something you could all relate to and connect to because it was a shared memory. See, that's the thing about sales. You're feeling like you've got imposter syndrome. You're feeling like you don't have the right to talk to a CEO. You're feeling like you can't relate to their day job because you've never done their day job, right? I'm not an accounting expert. If I were to go and sell to an accounting agency, I would go, what the hell do I talk about? But at the end of the day, all the skills we use are all relational. They're all pop culture. They're all street smart. The actual education comes in just so you know how to actually... <laughs> you know, write a good business plan and make a good business case. So that's my way of saying sales is the best, most equal deal going. And you have all these skills at your fingertips because you're street smart, because you can relate based on your memories and establish an immediate rapport with somebody else that you're not using. So Imagine I'm listening to Sam Dunning's podcast and I listen to Fred Copestake come on. He's given this whole session about all the stuff you can learn over the decades, how sales have changed over the decades. And I'm like, bam, that's my guy. That's what I'm talking about. He's, he's, he's me. And Fred and I have been having this conversation for months and months and months about how to get him on the show. So I'm like, damn it, forget it. Screw it. Fred's coming on the show. Fred, welcome to the show, my friend. Brilliant. No, thank you, Daryl. Thank you for asking me. It's a real pleasure. Oh, look, he's so subdued and polite. Okay, let's just get the whole promotional stuff out of the way. Fred is a rock star author, sales coach, sales trainer. You can catch him on his website at brindis, B-R-I-N-D-I-S.co.uk. You may tell by the accent he's not Canadian, but hey, we're all part of the same commonwealth, so we don't exclude him. It's all good. Uh, his book, Selling Through Partnering Skills, you can get on Amazon. Dynamite book. You need to read it. But with that said today, when I was talking to Fred and we're sharing stories, he's like, Daryl, it's just about mastering foundations. And he goes, and that's what the decades do for us. Every decade had a different foundation we need to learn. So Fred, let's you and I have some fun today and waltz through the decades. Which decade would you like to start in and what can it teach us? Let's start at the very beginning as they say, the famous In the says. beginning. Well, no, well not, not right at the very beginning. <laughs> We've only got half an hour or so. <laughs> God, God created. No, no, no. Well, that, that's a bit too far back. But um, no, if, <laughs> let's go post-war. There we go. I think we could just about fit that. If we, if, if we start 50s, there we go. That'll, that'll, that'll do. Cause, um, well, actually, we could go back further in sales, but I don't think it'll help us. 
because what what I want to do is we take this sort of this little stroll through the, the the evolution of sales is pick some of the best bits that are going to be useful us in the here and now. And if we go too far back, we go into that whole snake oil sales, you know, the late um, 1800s. Yeah, Chinese came building railroads in America, brought snake oil salespeople, and thought, "Oh yeah, we can sell that to people because it solves everything." And all the scamming, horrible type stuff, and manipulative tactics were invented. And we still get tarred with that brush today, even though it's so long ago, and they're just better things for us to be doing. You know, so let's start in the fifties. And, and and the interesting, oh, I'm a bit of a geek around this sort of stuff, you know. <laughs> but the interesting thing for me about that is the sales the sales best practice, the sales techniques, the stuff that was trained, reflects what was happening in the era at the time anyway. So if you look at the 50s, 50s was very much about process, big process orientation. Yeah, it's about doing the right things time and time again. You know, production and how all that worked was, was a biggie. And I was the same in sales. You know, it's like, what can we do time and time again to make sure we're successful? Let's try and model it and keep doing that. And if anybody argue with me that that's not relevant today, well... <laughs> Good luck with that one. I don't think you'll last long in sales anyway. You know, so good process, whether we're talking the, the overall sales process or just the structure of a call, that's still a process in itself. It's having a, it's having a backbone. It's doing stuff we can do time and time again. That's what, that's what I'd want us to pick from that decade. I'd say. It's, it's funny you mentioned that because on the same episode with, uh, with Larry, we talked about that. And, we, and I, the, the question I posited to the, to the audience was, if I were to ask you, write down on a piece of paper uh, or to the modern kids, use your phone and start sending me a text message <laughs> that documents your daily routine that you do every single day. Can you do it? Or is every day different? In which case, every day is different, then you don't have a process. Or if you were to do a call, how do you approach a call? Before, before you start the call, you know, when does your process start? What are you doing? In other words, is you're researching, whatever it might be, before you go to the call. And I was, as I was saying with Larry, we spend so much time working on some of our skills in objection handling, discovery, asking the right questions, blah, 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 that we forget about the basics, which is just what's the rinse and repeat process that we need to follow. Because if we do that enough, it becomes just natural and we just do it. And that way we make sure we're not missing any of the steps we need to take in a normal sales process to make sure we anticipate any of the objections, we set the stage for establishing value and price, we identify need, all that just happens without even thinking about it. And when that happens, all of a sudden we become much more confident salespeople because we're not so obsessed with that I miss something. That's just my point of view. I agree. We'll agree on that one. I'm sure we probably won't agree all the way through, but hey, that'll be fun. Um, but no, for me, the way I talk about it to people is actually that the call, let's talk about the call. Let's talk about that bit. You know, it begins at the end. And everyone's like, what are you talking about, Fred? Well, what do you want to happen as a result of it? So what's the objective? Yes. And I'll say to people, what's the objective of your call? And they go, oh, I don't know. Well, don't even bother picking the phone up then. Don't, don't connect on Zoom. Don't do whatever you're going to do because it's going to be an utter waste of time. And you don't really want to waste your time. You certainly do not want to be wasting your customer's time you know, because you'll burn that bridge. So what's the objective? What do you really want from it? Primary objective. What happens if you don't achieve that? What will be a fallback so that actually that time you've invested, having that conversation, it's still good. Then we work backwards from it. It's like a golfer. You know, they sort of, they don't hit the ball as far as they can see where it lands and then go on to the next shot. They go, right, I want to end up in the hole, so I'll put off the green because it's easier. So then I'll do that shot to arrive there and that shot, and then they work backwards. And we do the same. So then we can structure the call having worked backwards, forwards. 
attention. You've got to grab somebody's attention. Use your elevator pitch, your benefit statement, your value prop. I don't really care what you call it. <laughs> but use something that gets them focused in on this is why we're having it. Show interest in people. Ask questions. Prescription without diagnosis is malpractice. You know, we've heard that one. Do that. Then you can move into the right. Build some desire. So get them to think about what it is that you want to say to them. And then we finish with some kind of action, some kind of advancement. AIDA, attention, interest, desire, action. That works elegantly. Invented in the 50s. I use that every day still. So, Okay. So <laughs> what we learned that. from the 50s <laughs> was process. What did we learn from the 60s, my friend? All about the mind. Ooh, all about the brain, psychedelia. The brain. Think of the 60s as a decade. Oh, yeah. All those substances people were taking to alter how yes. But <laughs> I'm not suggesting that. Please do not edit that in a way that makes me look as some kind of drug pusher. <laughs> no. <laughs> God, end of a beautiful career. <laughs> um, no, what, what I'm talking about with the, the, the 60s, what we saw reflected in, in business was this, this whole kind of psychology of stuff. So how were people thinking? What, you know, what were their, their preferences and thought patterns? So salespeople, this is where it's that whole focus on, can I read their personality style? Can I work out how they like information, how they work, and then change myself, what I say and do? You don't change your personality, but you change your behaviors to be more, to, so they're more comfortable. That, that's what we're trying to do with that. So you pick up on the clues. If somebody's quite friendly and you are going to have to do some small talk, and some people find that hard, but it's important for those people. They're people who like data, facts, figures, and you have to give them loads and loads of information and answer lots of questions. Are they people that are really to the point, bang, 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 that's what I want, go on, tell me, sort it. And you think, oh, that's a bit rude. No, it's just how they think. Or are they people who like to talk a lot about themselves and get all excited and animated and tell stories? You know, that, that sort of person that we don't know anybody like that. Um. <laughs> that, that would be me. That would be me. Ooh, just I mean, clear that. There's two on this. Surprise, <laughs> we, 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 we get, uh, we, we either just get worded edgeways. We'd stop talking over each other all the time. <laughs> what I love about what you're saying here, I actually had this conversation on LinkedIn the other day, and it was a lengthy commentary in this person's post. It was an interesting post. It was a young woman, and she made the declaration. She goes, uh, we're, you know, if you're guilty of saying any of the following expressions, you know, bing, 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 bing. And, you know, one of them, you know, do you understand? Does that make sense? But, you know, whatever. She had like a dozen of them, right? Stop it. Those are old school. Those don't make sense. You know, that's rude. Whatever. Don't, you know, instead do this, this, and this. So the actual substance of her post was, and her intent was very good. It was, please don't do this. And do this. She offered your alternatives. And everybody was like, oh, this is great. Thank you so much. And I was, of course, me. And I said, uh, I disagree like a thousand percent with this. And part of the reason I disagree is because, I, yeah, I said some of those things. But like I said to her, and you just said it here, was I said, you're projecting your own biases on how you like to engage. And you're declaring that nobody should engage this way because you don't like it. I said, there's a reason we have DISC or Myers-Briggs or Enneagrams or whatever, so you can pick up on how the individual you're prospecting wants to engage with you. And that's how you need to reciprocate. And that's exactly what I, you literally said, personality style, pick up on the clues. 
I said, people talk about mirroring. Now you can agree with it or not agree with it. I know people have, people don't like it these days, but there's a reason mirroring works. If you're a loud talker, I'm going to be a loud talker. That's how it works. I've never heard that. People don't like that these days. Well, you don't like yes. the way the human brain has been formed over millions of years. I know. No, it's different now. We've changed it the last two. Okay, fine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, no, a lot of it is politics and cancel culture, right? That's a lot of what a lot of it. And it's like, no, you can politics and cancel culture all you want to, but people still buy the way they buy at the end of the, end of the day. Okay, well, if I wrap it up in a way that behave in a way that is going to make somebody else comfortable. Is that okay? Is that acceptable? Can we? Can we that is like that? acceptable. That's politically right. correct. Good. Good. So, let's go to the seventies. Let's, let's, let's spoil would, that one. That's okay. We're allowed to say that. We're allowed good. to have comfortable customers and do stuff to let them work in the way they want. Work in the what a crazy thought. Now in the seventies, I'm thinking disco, and I'm thinking you know John Travolta in pantsuits and wide bottom bell bottom jeans. So talk to me. What did you? What did we learn in that decade? Fab. <laughs> I mean, literally fab, like Thunderbirds on go. Yep. Probably lost reference on a lot of listeners. Yeah, fab, certainly where I am you know, in the UK, fab means fabulous, great. Yeah, super, yeah, we don't use it now. It's very old-fashioned. Well, you do. You do if you're in sales because it means features, advantages, and benefits. And we have to understand that. That is a building block of successful selling. That's the first thing I train on, any, on anything. Before we even get into all the funky stuff, it's, guys, you've got to understand this. Your products, your services, your organization, it's a bunch of features. And if you talk about that to people, you will soon turn them off. You'll soon bore them. You've got to translate them into the advantages and say, what does that mean? But the benefits, what does that mean for them? And if it doesn't mean something for them, it's not a benefit. And it's pointless in talking about it. So don't worry that it's in your brochure. Don't worry that's what you've heard on training. If it doesn't mean something to somebody, it's irrelevant. Don't, Don't use it. Focus on them, talk about the benefit to them. If you can say so what to it, it's probably not a benefit. <laughs> so the little test you can use yourself, so I'm going to say this, can that person say so what? So if they can't, you need to work harder to turn it into something that's useful for them. That's what we take from so, so 70s is a pretty big decade in selling if that's giving us that focus. Well, it's so amazing because I know one of the big things that are really relevant in the last you know year or so uh, and Samantha McKenna has almost made this her trademark of Sam sales. And she'll say, what's in it for me. Right. And she'll use the expression. If they say, so what, then you've not conveyed what's in it for them yet. And here we are in the twenties and you're going back, you know, roughly you know, at least almost 50 years. And you're saying fab, you know, features, advantages, and benefits, but the benefits focus on them. What's in it for me. It's, 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 this is proof. This is why I brought Cope Steak here, because he's still relevant. All right? Do you get that? I'm rattling. No. No. W-I-I-F-M. That's how I present that. Yeah, what's in it for me? W-I-I-F-M. And I use a flip chart, because I am old school. And you write that up, and everyone goes, oh, is that World War? No. Is, it, is that a radio station? I go, yeah, it does look like a radio station. We FM. Yeah? And it, you've got to tune in to the buyer. That's what we're saying. You tune in, like you tune a radio station. Or in the old days, anyway. Yeah? yeah. To be talking about the stuff that they need to hear. They want to hear because it's relevant to them. So that's, well, that's our take from the eight, from the seventies. So the eighties fab, right. And or as Sam would say in the twenties, show me, you know me, right. Show me, you know me. I love it. What's in it for me. All right. In the eighties. All right. This is where I came of age. I went to high school. I went to university. 
I met my wife in the 80s. Talk to me. Bring it back. Oh, what a decade. What a it was decade. A, it yeah, was a good a decade. Music. You were doing your music spiel earlier on. I was like, I was. yeah, you know, that's Duran Duran. That's, that's Spandau yes, Ballet. Yes, Duran Duran, yes. Band, you know, all the new romantic stuff. Again, yes. totally lost. And some good rock, you know. But uh, yes. yeah, let's just talk about that because I'm, I'm not sure how much value it brings to us in modern day telling the 80s. <laughs> um, it, it, it does. It does. But it's the decade I lean least on because I feel in the 80s, if you look at a lot of the sales training, it's all about objection handling. And then the focus of it was to get to the end of the sale as fast as possible and then overcome objections, batter hurdles out the way, yeah, wrestle with your customer yeah, into a compliant state that they're then going to say yes. Use these 101 techniques of which is basically asking a question to kind of manipulate them and mind game them into buying something from you. And look, I'm, I'm probably over-egging it a little bit there, but that's well, you're what not, I Well, you're not, because the 80s, if I recall, was the whole Wolf of Wall Street, if I recall. That's when that movie came out, and that was the exact yeah. same thing. Greed is good. And, 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 and Greed is good. And that was how people were, were acting, and that was what reflected in the training. And so th- there's a little bit out of it. So part of the objection handling techniques that we can take is to take them and dilute. And that what it was saying is that you rather than just completely argue with somebody, you sort of cushion your response a little bit. But I would now turn that in, in modern day selling into treat concerns with concern. So don't call it an objection. It's a stupid, stupid word. <laughs> if somebody's objecting, it's actually their concern. They, they're missing a bit of information. They don't get something. So take that seriously. Treat it with concern. Don't yes, but them. That's an argument. But then just say, well, I appreciate what you're saying. I understand it. <laughs> and and sort of take it on your shoulders that you've not done a very good sales job. You've not given them enough information. And then supply what they need. That, that, that's what I'd take from eight. So I'd say be a little bit careful with some of the old-fashioned sales technique type stuff that gave us and get yourself into the 90s fast because the 90s gives us a lot of good stuff. But it is, it is interesting how it changes, right? So objection handling is, is something we need to all be good at. To your point, one of the things maybe the 80s was known for was challenging your prospect, you know, challenging them hard. Um, maybe... <laughs> too hard because you're trying to go for the hard close, which is why you're challenging them. But the premise of challenging assumptions is valid in the sense, how many times do they say, why do you need this? Well, I need this because of this reason. And the reality is if you were to drill down a little more and do some good discovery and the constant, why, 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 tell me more, explain that to me, describe this situation. You start to realize that in fact, what the reason they gave you was why they're motivated. It's not the real reason. There's actually a reason behind the reason. That's the real stuff. So you do have to challenge sometimes, but objection handling is part of every cycle. It's a skill you got to have. And many of us, I know for a fact, many, this is where most sales reps crumble because they don't feel confident or they don't like conflict. This is a hard one for them. Yeah. But, but what I would say there is, well, I'll challenge, I'll push back is that. Challenge you, me. You're treat me. Objection. Treat my concern with concern. No, I can't. Not in this case. It doesn't need. <laughs> you don't need it. I'm adapting to the customer in front of me. You're an expressive driver. I'm just going to go straight in and tell he's you. He's mirroring me. Do you see what he's doing here, folks? <laughs> I'm matching the style because it's the same. It's easy. I don't have to even think about it. Um, no. It, what I would say, if you're getting too wrapped up in, in handling objections, it could well be that you're not doing the stuff early in the sale well enough. Yes. You know, you're dashing in to get in to try to close something, to sort of push something on somebody, and you've probably not asked those questions. You've not understood them. You've not used, tell me, explain to me, describe to me. Ted, I love Ted questions. They're great because they're directions, actually. They're not even a question. Or, yeah. or open questions to, to understand where somebody is now, where do they want to be? 
and, and that for me that if you look at the 90s that's what came then the the, the, the sales went through a sea change in the 90s yeah, off the back of the, yeah, the, the Neil Rackham research, where they saw that the best sales guys weren't doing what they were trained, actually. Um, rather than push for the close, they were actually just asking more questions. They're understanding customer. They were saying, the customer's here now. They want to be there. But by understanding the impact of that, the consequence it has to them, the effect on their business, yeah, how that's important to them, they were taking time to understand it. And not just for themselves as a salesperson. It's so the customer could go, whoa, I hadn't thought of that. Oh, actually, that's quite a big deal, isn't it? Yeah. Right, I need to do something about that then. And, and that, that broadly is what consultative selling brought to us. I mean, I know that's a bit, maybe a bit oversimplified, but by asking questions to get somebody else to reflect and think about where they are now is not really where they want to be, and then they say, well, can you help me with that? Yes, I can. You almost don't need to handle objections. You then present to them and say, well, okay, here's what we could do about that. Oh, that's brilliant. Now, there might be some detail that needs clarifying, but having that prescription before or after diagnosis piece, it, it just makes so much more sense. It was, it's a really big decade, that, the 90s, and that's, that's an area that all the training I do now will we'll definitely spend some time thinking about that because that's where we need to go as we move through noughties, tens, and twenties. So it's crazy, right? Because I obviously, you know, I really came of age in the 90s because that's when I was really in the workforce, truly, truly. Um, I think I entered 89. So this whole consultative selling thing, it's truly a 90s phenom. That's what everybody did. And I and I even remember back then how coming off of the 80s, that was like just so mind-boggling to so many people who had gotten to the 80s groove. Because it was very much, you went from being very aggressive to being very much, I don't know, you want to say it, cooperative, you know, aligned, because you were truly consulting with them. Um, I, I love your point, you know, prescription after diagnosis. So you, a lot of time was put in upfront on the diagnosis. And many of you today will push back, get frustrated or upset when you get stuck in a deal um, on price. And it's, you know, you're trying to close the deal and price has become an issue. And we'll often say, well, that's because you should have dealt with price up front, which is going back to exactly what Fred's talking about, asking those hard questions up front. And so the other part he's really getting at by asking questions and helping them understand the impact of change, then that already sets you up for, well, if that's the impact, well, then... If, the, if this price is, yeah, the price is a lot, but the impact's like a lot. It's like 3X, 5X, 10X. So therefore, the price is irrelevant. In other words, you're getting over those obstacles. I love the consultative selling. Is consultative selling still alive, in your opinion? A form of it. Um, it it's absolute foundation. It's absolute foundations. Um, and it, uh, this is how I see it. And this is my opinion on stuff. It got a bit of a revival in the 10s with challenger sale. So when we talk about challenger, challenger, there's actually a very specific form of selling called challenger that the, the CEB yep. and that now the Gartner guys developed because they looked at what people were doing again, a fantastic piece of research and found that actually the most, the most successful salespeople are the ones that will push back, that won't think, oh, I can't say that to the customer because they won't like me anymore and they won't be my friend and, oh, and the relationship will be full apart. So I know the relationship fall apart. If you see them about to make a mistake or if you let them do something that isn't best for them and don't, and don't highlight that and don't kind of call them out on it. Now, you don't have to do it in a nasty way, but you do have to do that. 
and I know a lot of salespeople do find that quite tricky, but it is the very yeah. much the right thing to do, you know, and then that, that is where, you know, I think it takes, it's consultative plus, 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 if you like, because you need those fundamental skills and you need to bring in, we've kind of jumped a decade there, but you need to bring in the stuff of the noughties, which for me was value-based selling to have that insight and to have that understanding to be able to push on them. If I, if I, you know, I'm not totally stupid. I know I probably look it, but if I'm going to challenge you, if I'm going to push back on you, Daryl, I'm going to have a pretty good basis to do that on because otherwise you'll just take me apart. But if I say, well, no, I'll tell you why I'm saying this and this is where it's coming from and here's my research and this is how I'm seeing it and this is the backup, then you'll think, oh, okay, no, that is useful for that. I actually hadn't thought that. No, no, that, oh, no, thank you. I appreciate that. And how does that work? Oh, we need to work on this together, don't we? Because you seem to have got some understanding here that I don't have. So that for me is where value selling naughties comes in. It's, it's under, it's generating those insights and that stuff that's going to be useful for customers. So again, just done two back decades back to back. He skipped one to see if you were paying attention. So if the nineties was about asking questions, I didn't skip selling. it. You did. Sorry to interrupt oh, you. But see, you I had to push to back tens. on you. I had to push back. <laughs> So the naughties were value-based selling, generating insights. I love it. And the tens were challenger selling, so calling prospects out when necessary, but being consultative plus, plus, plus. You see, I'm busy writing notes down here, and he messed me up because I had to go and jump a line and then go back to the other decade. So there we go. Leave big spaces. Big space. (laughs) All right. So bring us home. It's the 20s. What now? The the other thing I would say that happened in noughties. um, Yep. And, and, and tens really was that at the same time as this stuff going on, so being very grounded and having good sales skills, so understanding how to ask questions, understanding how to help people understand value. And as one of my colleagues said, he's got a brilliant, I've got to share this. I wish I'd come up with it, but um, he talks about, well, he'll say, what's value? The answer is, well, it's a mystery. Well, I don't know. You don't know. Marketing doesn't know. Customer knows. Well, customer might not know, actually. We've got to work with them to understand what value is for them. That's the key. That's the sort of takeaway tip I would say if you're value selling. It's you can't dictate to me what you think value is. You've got to work with me to understand what it is. Yeah, so there's a sort of difference. As well. It says here on my value prop. I don't care. <laughs> it's what's in here and what I might not know. That's what you need to, to, to work out. Um, so you yeah, need to add that bit in with how we're using insight to generate that and to get that understanding. That's when you're really cooking with gas to be talking about proper customer value. So pain that they might have, that's kind of consultative. Gain that they can get. That's more um, very, very simple terms. That'll be how I define value selling and what, what those decades bring to us. And that's why they do sit nicely together. They do make sense now when we can they look do. back to, to apply those apply those things. But I'm just part. thinking back. Now, this may not be a UK reference, but in North America, I'm thinking, you know, you, you said, you know, defining value. What is it? Well, it's a mystery. You know, the customer knows. So using some pop culture references here, um, especially if you're a 90s child uh, or not, You've got to be Steve from Blue's Clues with your little detective book, figuring it all out and taking down notes. Or you want to go back another decade or two, you've got to be the gang from Scooby-Doo in the mystery van, figuring it all out. So there we go. All right. You've you've seen my training slides. Which, which of course, is lost on a load of people, but I don't care. Not as, I much, as, well. it's, it's, Not as much as personality styles that I talk about Star Trek. That completely loses people. Oh, see, <laughs> see, we have a question. Are you a Trekkie or a Trekker? But that's a whole different episode. So there we go. Uh, as last night, uh, just last night, I was watching repeats of uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine and the night before that, uh, Next Gen. So I'm guilty. 
Do, do you want to, 20s. So I, know it's, I know it's from just before we go to the 20s it's before i lose it do you want to know the expression which will pretty much wind up every geek out there what use the force harry said gandalf <laughs> <laughs> If people don't take anything else from the world, the podcast, take that. It's brilliant. Put it as well. That is going to mess can. them up. It, it'll, it'll upset so many people. It's superb. I love it. <laughs> All right, 20s. And 20s, collaboration. Yeah. Stop, listen, collaborate. Apologies to Vanilla Ice. I know it seems we're doing, we're doing obscure pop references. Vanilla Ice, stop, collaborate, and listen. It's actually li- stop, listen, and collaborate, because that's what salespeople need to do. We need to just slow down a little bit sometimes, listen to what people are saying, and then really apply our mindsets. How can we collaborate? How can we work together? You know, how can I facilitate the customer? How can I help them? So again, you can see how it's tapping into all that stuff we said, good call structure, understanding the person we're working with, working out what the benefits are, thinking what their value they can get, how can I ask questions in a certain way, so that now we can properly really collaborate on stuff, work together, co-create to move things together, because that's how you are going to add value now. And you've got to be the individual that can do that. That's the point. You've got to demonstrate that you're the go-to person. So and that's kind of using other elements of, of social media and these kind of things where you can build your platform. And I know you're a big fan of this stuff, so I'm going to hand it over back to you. <laughs> that you are the go-to person because that's how you operate. You've got this knowledge, you've got the insights, and you've clearly indicated to me that's the way you work because that's who I want to speak to. I don't want someone who's going to come and read a brochure to me. So I can look up a brochure. I can do that. I need someone who's going to help me think and work together to almost create something out of nothing, potentially. But that, that's, that's for me where the 20s is. Sales is becoming more and more complex. But that's what we need to get our heads around, how to do this. As I look through the decades, 50s process, 60s was all about, you know, the mind, the brain, pick up their preferences and their sentiments, um, personality styles. 70s was fab, features, advantages, benefits, what's in it for me. 80s was objection handling. Uh, 90s was ask questions, you know, understand consultative selling, you know, understand the impact of change. The knots was value-based selling, generating insight, helping them understand value. Remember, it's a mystery that only the customer knows. The 10s was challenger selling, um, calling prospects out when necessary, but being consultative, plus, plus, plus. And the 20s is collaboration. There's a real corollary between Gen X, Millennials, and Gen Zs and our own personality styles there along the way. Yet, ironically, all of these skills are still necessary today because not only are they necessary to the sales process, you don't know if you're going to be, if the buyer is a Gen X or a Millennial or a Gen Z. So there you go. There you have it. My friends, my friends out there in inside, inside sales land, this, this is the one, the only Fred Copstick. Check him out on LinkedIn. Follow him. He's dynamite. He's on Twitter at, slash, at Fred Copestick. It's really complex that way. So if you can do that, that'd be great. Brindis.co.uk. Fred, any final thoughts? Any way uh, that you can be got a hold of? I mean, you're, you're an author. You're a sales training rock star. It's all on the website, Brindis.co.uk. How else? What else do they need to know about you? One little thing that I will get people to do, and this is, this is brand new. I don't think I've ever talked about this on a podcast yet. So you, you, I've saved it specially. Saved it yeah? specially, yes. I'd like people to go and look at an app called Rocky.ai. Okay, so this is a AI-driven coaching conversational bot. And, and the reason it's kind of on my agenda now is that Rocky's read all my stuff <laughs> and now knows how to sell. And Rocky can coach you. Because just I would love to be in everyone's pocket to be able to coach them as and when they need it. Can't do that practically. Rocky can. 
So all the stuff that's in the book, you don't need to write the book now. <laughs> Rocky's got it. And rather than just read the book, Rocky will give you it at the right time. Yeah, you can sequentially and you can take the course within the app or you could just do the morning and afternoon reflections and you can pick up on the stuff that you know i cover a lot of that the things we've been talking about within that yeah and and actually to be honest even if you just turn off the selling stuff and don't look at that i would recommend you do this because rocky can also take you through wellness it can take you through mindset stuff so help you with clarity purpose it's it's a really cool piece of kit, which if you just get in the habit of little conversation with this little robot guy um, who uses AI to, to pull back the conversation so it will never be the same for anybody ever, that will make you better as a salesperson. So even if you talk the sales stuff out, just getting your own mind clear, that'll, that'll help a big time. It's like a bonus round, Rocky.ai. I'm looking at it right now. Growth mindset and daily reflection app for strategic thinking, courage, and focus. Answer five-minute accountability and self-reflection questions with your AI coaching bot, and it's supported by curated soft skill tutorials and comments from like-minded people. You can get it on the App Store uh, for Android or Apple. There's also a web app, too, so rocky.ai. And yes, you heard it here first from the one, the only, Fred Copestake. Fred, I've had a lot of fun today walking through the decades with you. Thank you so much for spending time with us here. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure. I hope you're not too misty-eyed remembering all those. I, I'm feeling old is what it is because I understand every single one of these is almost. Okay, guys, it's, it's, we're doing it again. Next week, there will be another episode coming at you loud and proud. In the meantime, from Fred and I, we wish you much success. Take care. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Inside Inside Sales Podcast with your host, Daryl Prail. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, we would greatly appreciate you taking a moment to leave us a review on the platform you're listening to the show from today. Also, please feel free to share this program with your friends and colleagues. Thank you. Daryl will be back again next week. <laughs>